0: All right, if you have a Bible or a Bible app, please open up to the book of 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to be in verse 7. So, how many husbands are in the room today? Let's see those hands. Look at that. All right. Uh, How many men someday want to be husbands? See, they're all right down in here. And, oh, Tucker, we start premarital counseling on Tuesday night, dude. So, you doubly have to pay attention to this one. All right, so... I will quiz you on Tuesday night to see if you understood this no um, so yes we are we're talking to to husbands this morning in first Peter uh, this was just providential that we landed here on this week I shared that last week if I didn't get sick about six weeks ago we would have been in a different part of first Peter but God wanted us to be in this part today to bless the women that's what we get to do it's gonna be great now um, as I was working over this text uh, for this week I, I came to a very very profound, simple conclusion. And that is that men are different than women. <laughs> Let us pray. All right, so, no, they're different. And, and, and to kind of get a picture of this literally, I, I wanna show you a picture of the difference between the female and the male brain um, as it processes information, <laughs> right? This is legitimate research. And, and it, it highlights, in, in just very scientific ways, the difference, all right? If you understand the left and right hemispheres of the brain, they kind of control different things. And so, for uh, you ladies, it's think, feel, 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 think, It's like shoelaces, right? Back and forth, like that. Because it's just cross-pollinating all the time. Where guys are like, Dang. You know, like, like, you know, and then occasionally there's some overlap. I think, feel. Oh, that's what she means by. Yeah. So, um, right. So, so there's a difference, and that biological difference uh, then translates into uh, going about life differently in different ways, right? So there is something that really does play out in a very real way. I found some cartoons this week that I enjoyed. Let's go ahead and show that first one right here. Uh, unspoken communication skills between guys and girls. Um, There's latent laughter. I understand. Um, I showed this to Reese in the office and she looked and she's like, that is so true. And I'm looking at the female side going, I don't understand. I never meet a guy and be like, I'm going to size you up right now. I'm just like, hey. He's like, Hey. All right, Want to get a donut? Sure. Yeah. Like so, uh, very different between men and women. Uh, here's another one, how men and women are different. This is true in our family. Um, <laughs> right? Honestly, I will say, if it's a short, like a overnighter trip, I might just grab a Safeway plastic bag. All right? So, just <laughs> shove it in tie it, it's watertight, it's perfect, right? So, totally. Here's one that I've used before, but it's also been a personal favorite of mine, how women shop versus how men shop. This is very different, (laughs) right? So, so men kind of hunt, right? And women graze, you know? So, it's different. Now, Now, here's what's weird, though, because of the way the brain works, though, you might look at this and go, in all conditions, this is going to be the route. No, that's not true. I came up with one this week that highlights how somehow this flip's totally different. Next slide, please. It's what happens when women get lost versus when men get lost. <laughs> right? So, in a weird sort of way, the woman's like, I'm not sure where I'm going. I'm going to stop at the Shell Station, ask, get right where I'm going. Not a guy. Not a guy. He wants to play light cycles all over downtown Seattle, so he goes about it that way, right? So there are some fundamental differences, right, between men and women, and um, Peter, he he knows this, you know? He knows this. The, The God of the universe that wired us as he has knows this, and so from that, the Bible speaks to men in some ways that are different than the ways that... The bible speaks to women or wives and husbands and and so we want to be sensitive to that truth especially here in first peter chapter three in fact one of the things that i find so interesting when i look at that chapter is that uh when when peter was addressing the wives he used roughly a hundred words uh in the original greek language that the text was written in about a hundred words to communicate with the women uh and only uses 25 greek words to communicate with the men, but here's what's interesting about that: um, really, the amount of commands between those two genders in the text is about the same. In other words, Peter, as he speaks to husbands now, is very tactical, right? I want you to do this, 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 like this. You know, he's just very quickly, right? Because again, I think in some ways that's where we as men do well. Give me the bullet points. I don't, I don't need a story, I don't need an illustration necessarily, I don't need a, kind of an overarching winding through the idea, just tell me what to do, right? And, and this is very much what Peter is doing. He's telling us as husbands what to do, and, and he's doing this in a broader context, right? So I take you back to the last few weeks where we said the gospel changes everything. Right? The gospel is an invasive message of God reclaiming his world. And he doesn't want to just reclaim it internally, spiritually. He wants to reclaim all the different aspects. And so Peter has preached the gospel, reminded us of who we are, that we're exiles in this world. And because of the good news of Jesus, we are to then conduct ourselves practically through the virtues of the gospel and all sorts of things. This is why when we start the passage, it starts with the word likewise again right this has been peter's word for the word for the last several weeks and we've been looking at this and he's linking it back to how we conduct ourselves in the world so he says in the same way that we handle all of our culture through the lens of the gospel and we handle government through the lens of the gospel and work through the gospel and how wives handle their being a wife through the gospel so too does a husband so likewise husbands think in terms of how you serve God by serving your wife in this way and he starts very basic he starts there in verse 8 or verse 7 rather saying likewise husbands live with your wives now we might look at this and go um I do you know like we have a house we live together uh, and you might miss the idea that Peter's getting at in part because we aren't necessarily readers of the original language in which Peter writes But when Peter writes this, this word he uses is not communicating being a roommate. It's it's a word that has intimacy buried within the word. So in one sense, it's practical. Dwell with them. But in another sense, it's intimate. Intimately dwell with them. This is what husbands need to do. It can't just be, hey, man, we're like roommates, and I've got a lazy boy, and you've got a lazy boy, and we do our thing. He says, no, I want you to dwell with them. I want you to uh, truly cohabitate. I want you to establish a habitat that is your home and is your marriage. Right? I remember as a kid, I would go to California to visit my grandparents over there, my mother's parents, and I always found it strange because my grandfather slept in one room and my grandmother in another you know and i i i I remember one time asking you know it's like so why is that and it was kind of like don't go outside and play pick oranges you know uh and and so it was just like this but you could tell that there wasn't unity right there was roommates but there wasn't the sense in which they were trying to establish a habitat see i think about that image right a habitat cohabitate is to co-invest into a habitat you go down into the valley here and you have a habitat right it's an ecosystem that's balanced and it thrives to produce the fullness of life life is optimized in an ecosystem or a habitat and so I would say to the men in this room that are husbands or future husbands your opportunity Not just responsibility, but your opportunity, your calling, your design is to be that within your home and marriage and family. You establish the habitat. You go back to Eden, that was really the commandment to Adam, right? He says, I want you to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. I want you to cultivate it. I want you to keep it. I want you to tend it. There was a sense in which the first commission to the first husband was to really create a habitat. And so that's my thing to us as men. And I'm not saying we're always going to do it well. I don't always do it well. I'm aware of the fact that I set the tone for the home. Sometimes I do that well. Sometimes I do it poorly. When I become moody, when I become unfocused spiritually, what happens ultimately is I am becoming selfish. And when I become selfish, I bring that selfishness home in such a way that I'm not trying to cultivate the home to greater uh, abundance in living. I'm trying to manipulate the home to serve me. And and, and then instead of me serving the home, I want the home to serve me. And the problem is when I'm in that place, it's never going to serve me in the way that I want because my interests are selfish, not selfless. And so, again, I go back to what Peter is getting at with this text when he says... Husbands, dwell with your wives. He's saying, do more than just settle for the lazy boy and the television until you go to bed. He says, grab the love seat. Pull it out of mothballs if you need to. Get on the love seat. Get under the blanket. Connect with, dwell with, cohabitate with. Create an environment of thriving in life in the home what this means for us as husbands is you know what our wives really do need to receive the priority the priority because here's what's easy to have happen especially when your kids are younger and up through the teen years it's very easy to uh, abdicate the 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 primary relationship of the wife to the kids and it's easy for women to do the same thing so this happens for both but it's really easy to start just man the kids are the glue of the home We invest in the kids, the kids keep us together, the kids give us purpose and meaning and they fill up all of our free time and so everything's about the kids. See, that's not a healthy recipe for what's coming one day which is there's a nest, it will be empty. And when it's empty, you don't wanna look around at your empty nest and say there's only one other bird in here, how do I kick it out, right? You you don't want that because this is what happens. It can happen when people have all of life revolve around the kids. And I'm putting this on us a bit, husbands, because, again, we are the cultivators of our little home Edens, right? We want to nurture it and care for it and protect it and cultivate it and set the tone of it. And if we let the kids rule through the course of 18, 20, 25 years, however many kids you have and however long they're in the house, uh, if if that happens, then one day when the kids aren't there, you're just going to look at each other like, I don't even know you. Or what I know of you, I don't like. I don't feel connected to you. The kids were our glue and our purpose. You just don't want that. Right? And, and, and so the more it can be even communicated to your children, like, we love you. Mom and dad love you, but, but mom comes first. Mom comes first. That is what it means to truly dwell with one's wife. It's important. I think the other part of this that I look at is as husbands seeing our relationship to our wives not as um i, I married you at one point and therefore done deal right because because peter it says keep dwelling with your wife keep making the habitat what it's supposed to be in this sense i would say as husbands we would do well to have an attitude in our marriages where we say i am a dater not just a guy that says i did one time 25 years ago I I still have the mindset that says I want to make that investment. I want there to be freshness. I want there to be investment. I want to understand. I want to go out of my way to let her know that I still pick her today, and I still adore her today, and I still, I do today, right? In fact, just think about that, when you were on that platform or at that altar and you were saying i will this and i will this and i will this and then the pastor or the priest or the justice of the peace or whoever gave you a whole list of things that you were to do you said i do that is present tense that is always true you you always i do right every single day you wake up i do when you go to bed at night i do Right? You want to be an I-doer, and I would say you can be a great I-doer by saying, I really look at my marriage more as a dating relationship than in a, as a covenant of 25 years ago that now has just sort of gotten routine. Right? This is what it means to truly, truly dwell. Right? Keep getting to know her. In fact, this is why I believe Peter goes on to say, he says, live with your wives in an understanding way. Again, I think this passage is really, really dense because when I'm, I'm, I've looked at this passage many times over the course of my own life in relationship to my own marriage, and so when I see it, not just do I make the investment of truly creating a habitat, but then every single day, I need to understand the woman that I'm married to. So what I come to realize finally, after the years, is that the day I married Ellen, I entered UW. University of Wife, all right? I enrolled into UW Ellen Campus, all right? So, that's what I do, right? Every single day, it makes me think in terms of being a student. The only blessing about my UADub is it's not a husky, it's a hottie for a mascot. That is fantastic, aw, uh, I know. Um, but I make that investment. Where I want to know what makes her tick, right? And, and, and I'll, I'll say as a husband, two husbands, Um, this isn't always our our strongest suit, right? And and I think there's a number of reasons, but like if I was to give a test right now, if I said, all right, everybody grab a scratch piece of paper, I want you to take your pencil in hand, I want you to right now list the 10 things, men, list the 10 things your wife most enjoys and likes. Favorite restaurant, favorite color, favorite show, favorite what, like as fast as you can. Your wife would have 10 before you had two. A lot of us, because we're like, oh, she likes blue. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, which kind of blue? There's ten thousand. Not for a guy. There's just blue. You um, know, and, and 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 so wives oftentimes are, are better students than husbands. You know, I, I know this is true in my own life. You know, Ellen, like when it's Christmas time, you know, I have to go to her and say, "What do you want?" Where she already knows, like, oh, I have know what Matt said all year long. This would be cool, and this would be cool, and she kind of keeps a mental log, and I'm like yeah, I'm trying to take pictures of stuff more now just to have a log, you know? Like, if we're out at the store, she'll be like, oh, that's a pretty dress. You know, like, (laughs) oh, this is my secret, by the way. All right, so, because I wouldn't remember by December, you know, if she said it in June, I'm not going to remember, right? So I'm not always as good a student. I find that husbands aren't always as good a student as they should be. I think the other part that's hard is oftentimes we want to learn because of some particular target that we're seeking to achieve. So I'm gonna learn this now, so by tonight, I know how to do it, and I can be finished tomorrow. Right, so we're very circumstantial kind of learners that way. And here, what Peter's saying, no, you you really have to make this a lifelong endeavor. You you don't ever stop learning, and what you learn may shift. Because people shift, right? The, The person that Ellen married 25 years ago is not the same person she's married today in a lot of ways as far as personality goes, right? He's a different guy. And so if, if she's been a learner of me, she's had to adapt. Well, it's the same thing. Ellen is a different person than, than the person I married 25 years ago too. So I, I'm always learning. Uh, life stages shifts it. When you have little kids, you're learning at one level. When your kids are teenagers, you're learning at another level. When you become empty nesters, you're learning at another level still, so this is why Peter's saying, you have to be perpetual students. You have to really pay attention, men. Which wouldn't have been common in the era that Peter writes. I mean, men for the most part, here's what they saw in their wives. Wives are for babies. Right? They, they serve me and my interests. For Peter to roll in and say, husbands, I want you to dwell with them. I want you to be understanding with them. Man, this is countercultural. This is not what typically was expected of men. And now... Peter's saying, no, you have to do this. For us as husbands, it means, you know what? You learn things like know your wife's mood or moods, right? And you understand, if she's in this mood, it must have been something with the kids, or if she's in this mood, it must have been something with some circumstance, and I can identify that. Or maybe it's just knowing kind of her emotional makeup, right? Part, what part of the emotional spectrum does she kind of reside on generally in life. Understand her nonverbal cues so that you know when she's at ease or, ease or when she's stressed, when she's frustrated, when she's sad. Really know those kinds of things. Know her pet peeves. Right? Just understand those little things. Know her fears and her joys. Know her desires. Here's one. Know her buttons and don't push them, right? That's a pretty good one right there, right? Know her buttons? Don't push them. Be strong. Be empathetic, right? Remember her brain? Think, feel, think, feel, think, feel, think, feel, think, feel. I mean, you may go, I don't understand why she's processing so much. Be empathetic in that. It's how God's wired her and understand that, right? And, And again, you know, your wife is gonna be different than my wife, right? So this is what it's so great. You have to customize to one woman as the learner. Right? My wife, one of the things that is true of my wife is my wife loves to have fun. Her word is fun, right? So, oh, that sounds so fun. Oh, we should do this. It would be fun. Here's my problem. That's not me, right? I'm the other side of fun, you know? And, and, and I'm not a total bummer. I'm just not Mr. Fun Guy. And here's why. She is a last born. I am a first born. It's a problem, Right? The firstborns, no, I don't want to have fun. I just want to keep the world from falling into chaos. There's nothing fun about what I do, all right? Um, I made sure all my little siblings didn't die. I grew up having to be the second parent. I don't have fun. Fun risks lives, you know? And, and, and all firstborns know what I'm talking about. You're like, yep, yep, I, I saved all my siblings from certain death, you know? Um, where the baby's like, I don't know, because the older one always rescued me when I went on the roof or out with a rope, or into the water, you know, like, because I was having fun, yeah, so, and so, you know, there, there's a difference there, and I have to understand that about my wife, in fact, just even in a moment of transparency here, uh, we were talking about, we're already starting to think in terms of empty nest life, you know, uh, our, our youngest, Gray, he's, he's 14, turns 15 here in June, and so we're like, you know, that's, that's coming sooner than later, and, and so, uh, she was just, real sweet with me and real honest. She goes, my only concern about that season is that you're not going to want to have fun. And, and she was spot on. You know, now once I'm out, I can have fun. But it's the whole premise of getting in the car, driving someplace to have fun, that's not fun. Right? So, I, you, know what's, you know what's fun doing nothing, including not having fun. That's fun for me. Like, you know. <laughs> Fun for me is the most unfun thing, you know, and, 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 and yet once I get going, I do it. So what I'm saying again is it's not just that I'm a student of Ellen and go, my wife loves to have fun. Part of my being a student is, and what she loves is her husband having fun with her. And so now I'm not just an intellectual student. I'm a practical student. I, I, a student. I need to go out and have the fun. And what I find so often is the more I do that, the more fun I actually have. Right? We're playing together, and that is fun for her, and it becomes fun for me. This is all a part of being a student, right? That's where I keep saying, I do, I do, right? To love, honor, and cherish better, worse, richer, or poorer. Even when you have fun, yes, I do. I will go have fun. I do fun, all right? So that's the heart. And so we're always students. We're always learning. We're always paying attention. And we're doing this not just for practical purposes right? It's not just like, hey, it's a good idea to do this. It it goes much deeper. This is about also uh, exhibiting a sense of memorialism to Jesus and how he handles his bride. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 5, we read this last week, but I, I want to return to it because I think it's important to see what husbands are called to and how part of this understanding and acting on what we learn is important. Husbands, it says in verse 25, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And gave himself up for her so sacrifice right we learned last week that wives are called to submission husbands are called to sacrifice all right so he christ gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without And in the same way, he says husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. I mean, what I love about the picture here is that Jesus is a student of his church. He's an investor into his church. He is a sacrificer for his church to present her as more of who she is, to enrich who she is, to celebrate more of what she has the potential to be through him. So he uses that as a pattern. And so husbands, he says husbands in the same way, you sacrifice for your wives, you do it in such a way that the beauty of who they are comes out, that the enriched nature of the person is allowed to shine forth. That's the investment you're making. You are dwelling with as far as cherishing and cultivating an Eden-like environment in your home. You're doing that as a student of her so that you can act on who she is, and you are sacrificing to make that possible so she, she can be everything God has made her to be. It's that kind of picture that matters. This is why he goes on to give us an example in Christ, where he says in verse 21, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it. I I love this, nourishes, gives what is necessary for thriving. So as a husband, I'm thinking through all of this going, okay, so I dwell with in a way that creates habitat. I understand in a way that I'm a student that engages. I want to make sure then I'm living in such a way that I give to my wife what is necessary for her thriving, that I would cherish her, it says, nourishes and cherishes, which is protects because of its value. In this case, our wives, their value. We do this just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. This is a mystery. It's profound. I get it. It's... Christ's relationship to the church, but then in the same way, husbands are to love their wives just like this. right? so the whole picture is there. And so my encouragement to us as men is to simply even just think through Jesus. Go, you know, what, 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 How does Jesus handle himself in relationship to his church or, or in relationship to us? This is what we then do as husbands, right? Jesus, he thoroughly forgives jesus doesn't keep any record wrong about the failures we have in life he doesn't grow tense and frustrated and say it's more about me than it is about the bride that i love he doesn't do that jesus carries our burdens on himself certainly jesus gives more than he receives at times he empowers more than he belittles right i mean these are the kinds of things that he does he puts god's glory And God's will at the forefront of all things, that's what we're to do, is husbands. He's proactive and he's invested and this is what we are called to do, right? I go back to Peter. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. All of this is just the way it looks. He then says, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Now, now this has always been kind of an area of like, okay, what do, we, what do we do with that? What is meant by weaker vessel? i want gonna start at the back and then I'm gonna work our way to the front. Um, some people look at this and think it's some kind of slight toward women, And other people say, no, it's not. So we say, well, by weaker, it just means physically the strength level is different. Uh, Certainly the Bible would say that women are not weaker than men spiritually. They're not weaker than men in their position in Christ. That isn't the case at all. Uh, I would say in some instances, women are even stronger than men in certain areas, right? Transparency, forging multiple friendships and relationships, loyalty to kind of a broader community of people. Oftentimes women are just better at that than men. So what, then, is Peter getting at by weaker vessel? Well, I think in one sense, I, I think generically speaking, we could say he, he's thinking about physical stature and strength, but, but I don't think he stops there. Right? I, I, I think he actually has an intention to go a little bit deeper with this particular section. And part of what we have to do here is to say, don't equate weak with something bad. So that's our temptation, to say, oh weak means less, weak means inferior. Right? Let me let me push us a little bit and say there is also a truth that something that is weak is also fragile or delicate or it's precious and you handle it very differently. Right? And this is what I think Peter's getting at more because uh, what, again, we, we see in the Roman Empire is that women were just for babies. That was it. They, there wasn't a lot of treat them gently, treat them with respect, treat them as an equal. There wasn't any of that really. It was like, no, you just marry a woman, she gives you legitimate children, and that's what they're there for. And Peter says, no, 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 no. It's a little bit different, and you need to see this whole thing a little bit differently. Right? In fact, the word honor here, right? Honor right, the woman as the weaker vessel, that word honor means to ascribe value or to see the value inherent in something. So while the culture may say their value is making legitimate babies, Peter's gonna say the scriptures point to a higher value, a more cherished value, a more precious value than that. Um, I take us back to Genesis chapter two. You don't have to turn there but you're gonna realize it or remember it. Adam is just coming out of his, his slumber. He's uh, named animals. None were a suitable companion, right? All of that. And Adam awakes, and as he awakes in verse 23, he says, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. Now, again, in Hebrew, this is intense. It's, it's this sense of explosiveness as he says it, right? So it's not just... There's, whoa, man. He doesn't do that. He says, whoa, man, right? Like, it's, it's the same but oh so different. I mean, he's mesmerized by this idea, like, you got that from this? No way. You know, like, he's blown away because, again, there is something familiar, right? The woman and the man have a lot of kind of just similarities, but, boy, there is something altogether strange and unique. And in this sense, I would say that for the man, he's like corningware, and the woman, she's like crystal. You know, we're very utilitarian. That's what we are built for as men. Women, though, are uniquely exquisite and precious and important. In fact, um, I uh, had copy and pasted this out of my stuff this week. Um, I, I was just looking at uh, Song of Solomon, and, and, and the description... Uh, of of the husband by way of the wife, what she says about him, versus the description that that the husband uses to describe his wife, and and you know kind of generically of of the man, the woman will say his legs are like you know cedar trees and his arms are like iron bars and these very strong features, but but then you read the husband and what he says about the wife and you see something different. This is just kind of a kind of a kit bash of a couple different sections of. Song of Solomon, but he says, behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. It was like 80s perm. It was like that, all right? (laughs) Your teeth are like a flock of shorn sheep that have come down from the washing. All of them bears their twin. Not a single one has lost its young. That means she has a full set of upper and lowers, by the way. That's all it means, all right? Your lips are like a scarlet thread. Your mouth is lovely. Your cheeks are like halves of the pomegranate behind your veil. Your neck is like the Tower of David. How beautiful your feet are in sandals. Your rounded thighs are like jewels. Your navel is like a rounded bowl. It never lacks mixed wine. Your belly is like a heap of wheat. Don't use that one. Um, (laughs) If you go home today and like you're reading it out, that's where all romance fades and dies. But your belly is like a heap of wheat. It's circled with lilies, though. You got that going for you. All right. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes like the poles of Hezbollah. Your nose is like the Tower of Lebanon. Another one I wouldn't encourage you to use. Um, (laughs) Your your head crowns you like caramel. Your flowing locks are like purple. How beautiful and pleasant you are. Oh, loved one, with all your delights. Oh, how your stature is like a palm tree. I mean, there's this, this picture that he has, not of saying weak in the negative he's saying fragile precious beautiful worthy of protection and care right this is really the picture we have of women throughout the scriptures right and so when peter says giving honor to the woman as the weaker vessel he's saying show you or show her prove to her the value that she has because she's precious Right? You're gonna ship a hammer very differently than you're gonna ship a vase, right? right? So you don't look at your wife and say, she can take it like a hammer. I'm just gonna throw her in the box and send her in life. It says, no, no, she's, she's precious, she's fragile, she's a gift given to you, given to you as your responsibility, right? And so honor her in that way. Show her respect in those, in those means. I love the fact that he also says honor um, see it says uh, showing honor to the woman as we he even expands it to the whole feminine side of the equation right see all women as precious uniquely showing honor to your wife what this means for us as men to really honor them to show them the value that they are due is um don't be flippant with your wife don't be short don't be harsh don't be degrading don't be mocking don't let your wife be the butt of your jokes with your friends and certainly don't make your wife the ball and chain with your coworkers or whatever else never speak poorly always see her value as priceless and precious and treat her like that I remember one time this is a little bit of transparency Sunday Ellen's be like you didn't have to be that transparent um, but it only makes her look good and me bad so that's perfect um, because it's true, and I remember real vividly uh, we, were, we were leaving Hastings Music Books and something in Spokane, and, and uh, I, I was just being kind of a derp, you know, and, and, and she quoted a, a song. Does anybody remember the artist Jewel? Yeah, a few of you. Um, and, and so there's a song of hers, and I was just being derpy, and, and we were leaving, and Ellen just quoted me the song. And it's so good so i want to give you those lyrics because it still stands in my mind to this day i remember right there at hastings i remember when she said it the lyrics always pop into my head anytime i start to realize i'm being derpy in our home and this is the the lyric it says it doesn't take a talent to be mean your words can crush things that are unseen so please be careful with me i'm sensitive and i would like to stay that way and and, and when ellen said it because she knew she's like the more a husband is short harsh not really dwelling just sort of roomating not connecting just sort of getting through life the more it sets a tone to the home and to the marriage that can then create a desensitizing in the wife and a growing friction and frustration and and i remember just when she said that to me and i'm like that is the perfect lyric always to remember i'm sensitive i would like to stay that way, right? See, it was interesting even back in Ephesians. That word "cherish," its root has to do with heat, right? So, cherishing would be like you know, just has a thermal implication to it. And what I know as husbands is we can either bring warmth and soften our wives, or we can bring fire and harden. Right? So what kind of heat do you bring? Where is your thermostat set? Are you bringing warmth to the home and to the marriage? Or are you bringing fire that's just going to harden? See, Peter would say, no, you dwell with them with understanding and honor. You take care of them and you show them their value. Another way we can do this as men, um, make sure our kids honor their mom. Right? The kid's being dishonoring, you step in and say, uh, if you have a problem with her, you now have a problem with me. And that's a bad problem to have, right? Magnify her to others. Esteem her right to her face and say, you know what? It's like Proverbs 31. You surpass them all. Tell your wife, you surpass them all. That's what matters, right? Because that's what's needed. He goes on. He says, show honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Since they are heirs with you, of the grace of life right now, now he starts to give some of the motive behind this and he's going to give two reasons to have this motivation to dwell with and to honor and all of those kinds of things and, and this first one here um, is, is pretty pretty clear it, at least in my mind what, what he's saying is you know if you look at the book of first peter it opens and it ends highlighting grace and if the gospel is a gospel of grace, what this is also aiding and reminding us of is everything we do in relationship to our wives, men, should come through that grace, that same grace. We are saved by grace, for grace, grace through grace, all to the praise of his glorious grace. And so when we start, stop and think, oh, wait, you know, my wife is an heir of the grace of God, I want to then exercise grace toward her. We are bound in grace. I want to be a gracious husband to her i imitate a gracious christ toward his church i do so to my wife and so all the more i want to exhibit that grace because that's the grace of our future that is the grace of our present that is the grace of our past so he says man dwell with them honor them care for them because you are heirs in the grace of life that is the first thing he gives as an encouragement the second thing though that he gives as a motivator is very interesting he says you again, going back, show honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life here you go here 's the kicker, so that your prayers may not be hindered dun, dun, dun. right I mean this is you almost don 't expect it coming uh, where you go really okay, so if, if i don 't do these things, my prayers are hindered why i 'm going to make this real simple um, if you have a sinful issue with your wife, your God has an issue with you. If you are put out at your wife because of your own selfish interests, because of your own frustrations, because of your own whatever it is, God is put out with you as a husband. And I know some of us don't like that. We instantly want to say, whoa, 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 what about grace? And what about this? And what about that? And we're forgetting what God has placed us in the position of in our homes and marriage. Right? By design, God says, husband, you lead. You lead with generosity, you lead with sensitivity, you lead with that spirit of creating a habitat, you lead in a way that is understanding, you lead in a way that is sacrificial, but you lead. And if you start to get irritable with her, you're not honoring her, you're not caring for her, then you are abdicating your responsibility as a leader and I take issue with leaders who abuse their leadership. That's how serious this becomes. like, whoa, Mother's Day, thank you. It's a hefty thing. It's no small issue that Peter is raising. We should stop and go, whoa, what do you mean? How how could this be? Well, again, because when a husband isn't handling a wife properly, as Christ has called us to, uh, usually there's more stuff going on underneath the surface it's like i shared last week marriage is challenging because it's two people with sinful proclivities coming together and it becomes sin squared and you have to kind of work that through but sometimes especially for a husband if he gets kind of off the rails spiritually uh, he starts to incorporate that into the home in all sorts of unsuspecting ways and and he's mishandling his leadership mishandling his authority and responsibility and it becomes a serious issue Right? When we start to resent or get frustrated or mope or wander or whatever else, um, it's the opposite of being like Jesus. It's the opposite of using our leadership and authority in healthy ways. In fact, to get a picture of this in Malachi chapter 2. It's an interesting passage. Well, where God is dealing with problems in Israel and how uh, husbands are handling their wives, and even though the ultimate issue here is going to be about divorce, I think there's something to pick up that's important to realize for us as husbands when it comes to uh, serving, leading, and caring for our homes. He starts in chapter 2, verse 13, and God says this. He says, another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and you wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. And so, basically, it says, God says, I, I, I don't accept your worship now, men. I mean, this is a big and substantial thing when God says, I don't want it from you. And so, you ask in verse 14, well, why? Right? It's because of the Lord. Uh, it's because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. Says so this is why I don't want your worship anymore. I see what you do with the wife of your youth. You've been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. So be on guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The man who hates and divorces wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one that he should protect. He does violence to the one that he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. See, what our problem is, is men sometimes, is we don't see our potential offenses, offenses toward our wives as violence, right? Because it's not physical, maybe it's not even verbal, maybe it's silent treatment, whatever it is. But it, we go, hey, come on, they, they frustrate me, we're not in a good place, and she does this and she does that and it drives me crazy and everything else. And instead of making the investment to bring it to a healthy spot, you, you just sort of settle in on the resentment side. And you may not think it's that bad, but God says, that's, that's violence to the person that you should protect that that's harm instead of help and they need help because you're called to make a holy healthy home so the key is then to say i need to do that i, I need to do what is necessarily to create balance and stability and enjoyment and thriving in the home again right i need to repent of maybe how i've handled things and go to god as the first step of saying god work in me now, not as one in rebellion, but as one humbled by you so that you could produce in me what is necessary. See, because until the cycle's broken, God isn't listening to the prayers. I mean, if we keep mishandling the wife, God keeps not listening to the prayers, right? So the only way you get God reengaged prayerfully is you first repent of how you're handling your marriage, say god forgive me i want to do it right i want to serve you i want to lead in a proper way i want to be like you jesus in this home please help me to do that and then man the door between us and god opens up again the prayers are heard again and reconnecting with god is maintained again psalm 66 david says and starting in verse 18 he says if i had cherished iniquity in my heart the lord he would not have listened right so again if we're cherishing stuff in our heart as husbands Against our spouse, he says, well, the Lord wouldn't have listened to that. He says, but truly God has listened and he has attended to my voice and of my prayer. When things are right in heart, when we are in submission to Jesus, right, then then he hears. Then he aids and he strengthens. Then he uh, makes things happen that wouldn't otherwise happen apart from prayer. The prayer of a righteous man, it says in James 5, avails much, and that's what we need. We need to be righteous men. We need to be righteous men with righteous hearts and righteous desires. We need to be righteous privately, and we need to be righteous publicly if we want to then lead and see the kind of marriage that God will richly bless. We have to be at that point. You might say, but you know what? I'm not there. I'm just not there. What should I do? You might be a husband that says, you know what? It's been rough and difficult and kind of scrambled, and uh, what should I do? take us back to that passage i just quoted in james chapter 5 where it says therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed for the prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working i think there are perhaps three categories of of husbands in in the room today or individuals even speaking to husbands particularly i think there may be some in this room that say, you know what, I know Jesus, I've embraced the gospel, I'm, I, I'm on board with that, but you know what, things are not good with me as a husband right now. Maybe you translate that as things aren't good in our marriage or our home or it's always kinda of tense or it's right on the edge or we have to kinda of steer clear of one another, it's a good thing we have a really busy schedule because if we talk too much, it would just be thermo, you might be there. You're saying, how do I get it back on track? What do I what need to do? I'm going to say something that may not be popular for everybody in the room, but it's going to be the first step, men. Um, I'm going to put it on you. It starts with you. You may say, no, 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 no. You don't know my wife, man. You don't know my wife. It it doesn't start with me. And and I'm going to say, "Uh, God's called you to lead. It starts with you. I'm not saying that there isn't some maybe substantial difficulties and some real deep frustrations and real deep wounds. I'm not saying that. There may be, but I, I am saying it starts with the leader. The leader saying, I'm going to lead sacrificially, I'm going to lead like Jesus, I'm gonna lay myself down for the one that I love because she is to be honored, she is precious. I am going to care and invest. And so it starts with this right here, which is Jesus, I repent for not leading well. I repent for not making the investment. I repent for coming in the door, tucking my head down, trying to make it through the hallway to grab a beer to get to the shop. I, I repent of that. I repent that I find the television more entertaining than my bride. I repent of the fact that I wish I had another instead of the one you gave me. I repent of the fact that I don't want to talk. I repent of the fact that I don't want to try. I repent of the fact that I don't want to invest. I repent. It starts with that. It starts with saying, Jesus, of all the garbage in me that is creating a barrier, I repent. Now, that's therapeutic, by the way, too. It's theological, but it's also therapeutic, right? Where Jesus, I give it all to you because Jesus forgives. And then he gives strength, because he's always given strength. It's just sin sometimes saps us of realizing the strength that we have. He gives us what is necessary to move forward and to be the kind of husband that God has called us to be. It just means, again, it starts with saying, you know what, I I gotta first get set right internally, get right spiritually, and then from that, I need to set a tone in the home. And I need to do it like Jesus. And again, I'm not saying that's gonna be easy for some of you, it may be really hard, but I go back to the model as Jesus again. Just take your Bible, open up to the last couple of chapters of every one of the Gospels and read his last day. Say, okay, what, what did Jesus have to do for his church? What did he have to endure to get his church on track? That's what husbands do, right? So when he was mocked and despised without a word he served, he just served, he just, I'm going to keep serving. I'm going to keep investing. I am going to forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. This is, this is a pretty bold route in a difficult environment. And that's how husbands can operate. And so for the husband, again, that knows Jesus, but maybe hasn't been doing terribly well spiritually, it starts with repentance, and then it goes to seeking God and letting God do what God does best, which is heal things and just imitating what you see in Jesus. Now, maybe some in this room, you're, you're not a Christian at all. It's Mother's Day, mom said, will you go to church? And you're like, yep. And you're listening and you're going, wow, I'm either A, my life isn't like that, or B, I want it to be like that, or something needs to change because things aren't going like I had hoped they would go in marriage. And uh, my thing is, where it starts for you is, you need Jesus. You need Jesus. You need Jesus to do a work in you by saying, you know what, I submit myself to you. I acknowledge my sin. I need your righteousness and strength. You, Yield your life to him because he's going to have to produce in you all of that, that sacrifice and that investment that, that can heal things and restore them and make them fresh and new. So maybe for some of you it's coming to Jesus for the first time. And then there's going to be some in the room that, you know what? It's good. Marriage is good. Your faith is good. Things are solid right now. Here's my thing don't let a day go by that you don't keep making that investment it doesn't take long to get off the rails right you let a couple of days go by you let a week go by next thing you know you're bickering a little bit next thing you know you're a little more detached next thing you know you're even more frustrated you cannot let a day go by it is like exercise every day making the investment every day choosing the sacrifice every day honoring christ let's go ahead and pray together jesus I I pray for us as husbands and I pray for us as wives, as future husbands and future wives. Um, Marriage is no easy enterprise. I know we've said many times as a church before, uh, if you want to serve Jesus, stay single. If you want to become like Jesus, get married because it requires so much sacrifice. It requires so much investment. It is a selfless enterprise for husbands and wives to choose to enter into this union that you still call the grace of life. And it is a grace, but I pray that what that means for us is that we are people that exert and exude that grace in our lives, in these marriages, to celebrate you, to enjoy one another, to honor your purposes, and to be shaped by your gospel. We love you and we thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.